Uh, go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 24 tonight. Genesis chapter 24. Uh, we're not going to do the normal reading on this because of the fact that if we do, we'd be kind of going through the chapter three times tonight, and it's a long chapter, 67 verses. And so, uh, in fact, it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And uh, so I was trying to think of how I want to do this chapter because there's some really good stuff in this chapter. But um, I was trying to think of the best way to just kind of present this. So kind of what we're going to do, we're going to start off, we're going to read through the chapter uh, with some commentary. Because basically what we have here in Genesis 24 is the story of Isaac and Rebekah getting together. About Abraham uh, wanting to find a bride for his son Isaac. And this is pretty much a story about how it happened. And it's a very beautiful story. It's a, just a wonderful story that we see here in the scriptures. But there's a lot more to this chapter than just a story. So what we're going to do, we're going to go through the chapter, we're going to look at the story, and then we're going to go back and see something else that clearly is in this chapter, just kind of undeniable symbolism. And we, got, we want to be careful with symbolism. You don't want to do, go too crazy with it. But there's just no doubt the Lord is showing us something here that I think is very, very neat. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of Genesis 24. It says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I understand the significance of this putting the hand under the thigh uh, when he's swearing to him. I read something about it one time um, that I thought was kind of actually a little disturbing. I'm not going to go into that. But this is what I picture. I'll tell you what I picture in my head, what I think is happening here. I'm not going to have anybody come up here and help me illustrate this. But what I kind of picture, so picture... You know, Abraham is right here sitting on a chair, okay? And then you have his servant standing in front of him, and then he sticks his hand under his thigh, right? Now, what's that going to do? That's going to put you in a position where you're just kind of right, right close and in his face. And it's almost like Abraham is wanting to just, all right, you know, you look me in the eye and you swear to me, you are not going to take a son uh, or a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. I need you to go to my own kindred. So that's just what I picture in my mind. Okay, it's, so it's just kind of a. It was probably a custom or something that they had as a way to just get really close. All right, look me in the eyes. All right, swear to me that you're going to do what I'm asking you to do. So that's what I picture in my head is going on here, but. Uh, I could be wrong. Some of the things I read could be true, but I don't know. But verse 4 says, But thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So these Canaanite women were obviously really bad. Okay? They, uh, we talked about that a little, little bit last week, I think it was. And, you know, as a parent, what is probably the thing you worry about for your children more than anything? All right? Other than their salvation, you know what I worry about the most for my kids? Who they marry. That is a major thing, not just because I don't want to have annoying in-laws, but because I don't want them to make my children miserable. And if my daughters marry a bum, 
if my you know boys marry some nag or some floozy, they're going to make him miserable, and that's the last thing any parent wants for their kids. So this has always been an important thing. And Abraham, he's looking at these Canaanite women. He's like, not for my son. There's no way. Nothing wrong with that. Verse 5, And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. There's some, so many great things in this passage that I just, I'm anxious to talk about. We've got to get through and just look at the main story first. And then we're going to go back. It says, And the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me and swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels and the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And if you remember earlier in Genesis, uh, Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So this is Abraham's brother's land. So these would be the descendants of Abraham's brother. And uh, obviously there was probably a lot more of them because Nahor was the older brother of Abraham and probably had a lot more kids where Abraham only had or two uh, sons at this time. And so this is the land that he's in. This is his brother's land. This is his family, his kindred. It says in verse 11, And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now, I don't personally believe that we ought to be always asking God for signs. You know, hey, Lord, if... You know, this is your will. Will you let this random event happen or this random thing happen? I don't personally believe that's a good thing to do, but I do believe this was a special case because this was a very difficult task. I mean, this is Abraham's servant. He's got to go find a wife for his master's son. I mean, that's that's a pretty tall order right there. He's got to go and talk, find a woman that's going to come back with him and marry a guy she's never seen before. Is that an easy task? All right. No, that's not an easy task. This is a pretty big thing right here. But this is what Abraham's told him to do. This is his mission. So he's asking God for help. And I do believe that God showed him special favor here and put it in Rebecca's heart to do what she did. It says that it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebecca came out who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin, neither had any man know her, known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving, giving him drink, 
She said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher in the trough and ran again under the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Now, this was a big job right here. That's 10 camels it mentioned that they had. So she's drawing water for him and 10 camels. That is no easy task. And you know, just for all the ladies here, good-looking, hard-working, women of purity are always a good prize. That's kind of whatever, I think what everybody's looking for. Those are good traits to have. Okay? And uh, Rebecca had those. It mentioned all these things about her. She was, some, she was fair to look upon. She clearly was hard-working. And it mentioned that she was a virgin. So, uh, you know, ladies, you know, you can do those things, all right? And it's it's very possible. And so verse 21, And the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands and ten shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in my, thy father's house for us to lodge in? She said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. So this would make Isaac and Rebekah second cousins. Because you have Nahor, Abraham's brother, who has a son, Bethuel, which would make Isaac and Bethuel cousins. But then he's marrying his cousin's daughter, so that would make them second cousins. Okay, now why do I bring that up? Well, isn't it interesting? I, I used to wonder this years ago. Why was it that Abraham and Isaac had such a hard time having kids? And maybe with Abraham, it was because he married his half-sister. Maybe with Isaac, it was because he married his second cousin. Because this was before all these laws were given out, too, about you know marrying close relatives and things. And I think it just kind of goes to show that you know it's a bad thing to do genetically to marry close relatives. Okay? Now, I know they did it here, but like I said, a law wasn't given. So God didn't hold it against them. This wasn't a sin for them to do that, but it wasn't really a good thing genetically. But it was probably worth it because they probably still would have been better than the Canaanite women. But either way, I I don't think that's a coincidence. That's just my opinion. Okay? That's just my opinion. But anyway, uh, but it is a reminder, marrying close relatives is not good. Okay, And it's biblical now because the law was given later. So we don't do that kind of thing. And uh, And the medical community backs us up on that so uh, anyway verse 25 she said moreover unto him we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in and the man bowed down his head and worshiped the lord and he said blessed be the lord god of my master abraham who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth i being in the way the lord led me to the house of my master's brethren and the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house uh, her, these things and rebecca had a brother and his name was Laban, and Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. And we will see a lot more about Laban later, because he's the one who had the daughters Leah and Rachel that uh, Jacob ended up marrying. So Jacob married cousins too, but they were more distant. I don't know what that would make them. I'd have to sit down and figure that out. But they didn't have, you know, they didn't have any problems. He didn't have any problems having kids with Leah, but he did with Rachel. But anyway. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, you know, but uh, just, just an opinion, just a thought. But verse 30, And it came to pass, when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister sang, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, the, 
he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, Speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he hath. And my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my father's house and my kindred and take a wife unto my son. And I said unto my master, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way. And thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house. Then shalt thou be clear from this my oath when thou comest to my kindred. And if they give not thee one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And I came this day unto the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if now thou do prosper my way, which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin come, cometh forth to draw water, and I say unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink. And she say unto me, Both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son. And before I had done speaking in mine heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down unto the well and drew water. And I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter art thou? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bare unto him. And I put the earring upon her face and the bracelets upon her hands, and I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee, good or bad. So I want to stop here for a second and point out too, in this story, God understand while it was this servant that came, there were many other servants that were there with him. You know, why did they send the ten camels? Why did they send all these gifts? Because notice how he's telling them, and this is weird for us. We, you know, we can't imagine this, but you know, he's telling them, hey, I'm a servant of one of your relatives that they obviously had not seen, some of them probably ever, or at least in years and years and years. And they're telling him about all these riches and all these things. So I think they sent all those things as kind of proof that, hey, we're taking your daughter to somebody who can take care of her, you know, to someone who has some riches someone who is legit. So I think all these things that they brought, they were just kind of proof that, hey, we're not just here to pick up your daughter for human trafficking. All right. You know, we're, we're legit. You know, this, uh, my master is someone of means. It's your relative. And I, so all this stuff I think was just kind of proof that this was a very important mission. And that would have been a big deal back then too. You know, to have, this would, this would be, you know, kind of like if you had a relative from another country on the other side of the world coming and visiting you, you know? You'd kind of be excited to see him, even though this wasn't the actual relative and it was a servant. 
you'd kind of be excited to meet that relative from another country. I, th- I think we would all kind of uh, enjoy something like that. And so that's kind of what we have going here, because back then they didn't have Skype and Zoom and telephones and all that kind of stuff. So verse 51 says, Behold, Rebecca is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. It seems like they were pretty anxious to give away their daughter, but there was no doubt here that this was of God. You know, the servants telling him how he prayed before he could even get done praying. Boom, Rebecca's right there. She does exactly what he had prayed for. And I think that's a picture, too, of just how blessed Abraham and Isaac were of God, that when he sends them on this mission, he his servant goes out there. I mean, it was extremely successful. I mean, this is a big deal, and it happened fast, really fast, because God was prospering his way because Abraham and Isaac, they had God's blessing in their life. So it says in verse 52, and it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. He just keeps getting overwhelmed at what God's doing and just keeps stopping and worshiping because it's like, man, the Lord is really blessing. He's thrilled to death. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing that the Lord hath prospered my way, Send me away that I may go to my master. So he's so excited about the results. He's like, you know, let's, let's just get this done. This is really going to impress my master if I come back this quick too. And also I come back this quick with a great catch, you know, with a beautiful, hardworking, you know, young lady. This is going to be exactly what he wants. He knows, you know, his master is going to be thrilled at the results. So he's, he's ready to go back. So verse 57, and they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebecca arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and they followed the man, and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well of Lehiroi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. And this was not her lighting up a cigarette. But verse 65, I don't know if you've ever heard that. That's a lame joke out there, but anyway... I shouldn't have even brought that up. Uh, it says, For he, she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So, great story right here. I mean, this is a uh, just a wonderful story about how God uh, worked everything out to get a bride for Isaac. But, you know, there's a lot more to this chapter than we realize. Okay, so first off, I mentioned this is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. Now, think about this. 
more time was spent on how Isaac got his bride than the creation, the flood, the Nephilim. That's what everybody wants to focus on when they get to Genesis. Okay? Not as many people are going to pay attention to Genesis 24 online as Genesis 6. Okay? Anything with Nephilim in the title, people go crazy. Even if the Nephilim's real, there's barely anything in the Bible about it. But yet, that's what everybody wants to focus on in the book of Genesis. And there's, but here we have just the story of how Isaac and Rebekah came together, and we've got 67 verses. I'd rather there have been 67 verses in the chapters about the pre-flood world. You know, that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. That's the stuff we all get excited about. But God spent a lot of time on this. Why? Why spend so much time on this one story? Is it just, was it just a long story? The Bible just wants to tell us everything that happened? No, I've been showing you throughout the book of Genesis how everything that is mentioned is there for a reason. It's all there for a reason. It all ties together. It all fits. And so while this is a factual story about what actually happened that brought Isaac and Rebekah together, and these are important people too, because Isaac is one of the main patriarchs that God started the nation of Israel with. We see later in the Bible, God's always talking about being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the founding patriarchs of that nation of Israel. So obviously, Isaac is a very important uh, character. But I do believe that there is a great deal of symbolism that we can see in this chapter that's just like, there's just there's no denying this. To, to me, there's just... I know so we can we can take some things way too far, and and people do. And next week I'll probably show you. Uh, I don't think I'll have time to get into it tonight, but I'll show you how some people can take the symbolism in this chapter a little too far and start teaching weird things. Okay, and just understand when it comes to symbolism. Well, I want to show you something in this chapter. It's important that we understand that we should never let symbolism, you know, define our doctrine. Okay, we should get our doctrine from clear scripture. Okay? Because if, if you want, you can make symbolism mean whatever you want. But sometimes, the, and, and so the only time we should ever use symbolism to prove a doctrine is if the Bible uses it. For example, when we looked at Isaac and Ishmael and their conflict, we use that to teach doctrine. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul did in Galatians 4. So we can get away with that. I don't see where this happens in the New Testament, where I'm going to show you is referred to. So, you know, take it for whatever, you know, whatever you think it's worth. But at the same time, too, it's just kind of hard to deny. Okay, And so we're going to kind of go back. We're not going to read the whole story again. We're just going to look at a few highlights. So when you, But when you look at this chapter, I want you to think of the characters in this chapter and who they symbolize. So Abraham is a picture of God the Father. Okay, Now, that shouldn't be hard to believe. Seeing in the two chapters ago, we have Abraham offering up his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. Now, who do you think Abraham pictures in that? God the Father, right? And then who do you think Isaac is a picture of in that passage? Definitely Jesus Christ. Okay, God the Son. There's no doubt about that. Now, the servant, who is he? Who does he represent? And it's interesting, too, the servant is never named in this passage, but chances are it was Eliezer. We know Abraham's main servant was Eliezer of Damascus, who was kind of Abraham's heir at first until God gave Abraham a son. Chances are that's who it was, but he's not named anywhere in this chapter. And I believe that he is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And then Rebecca, she is a picture of the bride, the church. Okay, 
I think that's uh, so everybody has that in their head and sees that. So let's look at a few important details that are mentioned in the story. And then you can ask yourself, is this just coincidence or was God trying to teach a prophetic truth that is real easy for us to just look back on and see how God always had a plan? There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that shows that what took place with Jesus coming to this earth and paying for the sins of the world, it was always God's plan. It was always God's plan. What happened was what God intended from the beginning. So first thing we see in the beginning and chapter in verses one through four, we see Abraham commissioning his servant to get a bride for Isaac. That's how it starts out. Abraham does not go to this land. He sends his servant to go and recruit a bride for his son Isaac. Well, in John 14, 26, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So notice how the Holy Spirit, he comes in the name of the Father to send a message. And isn't that what this servant did? He came in the name of Abraham, didn't he? Hey, I'm a servant of Abraham. In John 16, verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. So notice how the Holy Spirit, and we've talked about this before, he's the one that draws people to salvation, doesn't he? Okay? You and I, we've never met Jesus Christ, have we? But we've heard about him. We've heard about him. Things have been revealed to us about him through the Word of God, but mainly through the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about that too. Uh, as we've been talking about things that are spiritually discerned, there's a lot of people who've read the story of Jesus. They know the facts about Jesus, but they've never been introduced to Jesus. Okay? But yet you and I have through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit draws us to salvation. And then we make that choice of whether or not we're going to accept Jesus or not. Same way Rebecca had a choice about whether or not she was going to go with the servant. So, kind of hard to uh, think, man, this is an awful big coincidence here, all right? So let's look at something else here. So in verses 5 and 6 of Genesis 24, notice this. It says, And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. Okay? Thou shalt not bring my son thither again. And in verse 5, he had said, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land, must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Because, I mean, this is a legitimate question. He's telling him, hey, I want you to go and find a bride for my son. But he said, what if she doesn't want to come? You know, wouldn't it help if I brought Isaac with and she could actually meet him? Hey, wouldn't more people get saved if Jesus came back again? And then he started preaching to people? I mean, it worked great the first time, didn't it? Well, actually not really. But notice what Abraham says here. He said, Thou shalt not bring my son thither again. Well, when would Isaac ever go there? Isaac never went there. But you know, it's almost like just showing here that Jesus is not going to come back again 
until it's too late. Okay? The time to be a part of that bride and the time to get saved is right now. A lot of people, I'd believe if Jesus showed up, and they'd be like, if Rebecca, what if Rebecca would have been that way? Well, you know, it sounds pretty good, but I'd like to see Isaac first. I mean, isn't that a pretty legitimate request? I mean, you know, girls, you know, would you prefer to see the husband before you marry him? You know, I think most guys would feel that way too. You'd like to see the wife before you marry her. Okay? You know, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. And you know, it's pretty reasonable... And we should be able to understand, carnally speaking, why people would want to see Jesus first. But understand, what does God want from us? God wants faith, doesn't he? Faith is required, so we're not going to get to see him first. And thankfully, Rebecca didn't have that attitude. And so, uh, you know, but just understand, Jesus is not going to come back to persuade, his, to persuade people to accept him. When he comes back... He's coming back in great wrath and great fury, and it's not going to be pleasant for those when he comes back the second time. So I just think it's interesting how he says, don't bring my son thither again. And then it says the same thing in verse 8, and if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this thy oath, only bring not my son thither again. Hey, the Holy Spirit draws people to salvation, but if they reject, you know, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's not that the Holy Spirit didn't persevere. All right, you know, it's not that the Holy Spirit didn't do enough. No, He does what He's supposed to do, and it's up to us to make a choice. Okay. Now, this symbolism flies in the face of Calvinism, doesn't it? But are we now? But remember, we don't use this to disprove Calvinism. Y'all understand that? Because we see here, Rebecca clearly has a choice. That disproves Calvinism. But we don't use that to disprove Calvinism. It's icing on the cake for us. We can all look at that amongst each other. It's like, yeah, this takes to the Calvinist. But don't use these things as proof texts because we don't use symbolism to prove it. We've got plenty of other clear scriptures to disprove Calvinism. Let's stick with those. Let's not go to symbolism to do that. So look at verse 7 of, of Genesis 24. So the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this thy oath. Only bring not my son thither again. So if people are not going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's their loss. It's their loss. It's their fault. They're the ones that are in trouble. It's not God's fault. Okay? So now, notice though, in verse 58. Jump down to verse 58. It says, And when they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. So notice that Rebekah, she was not forced to go with Abraham's servant, even though... Her father and brother had just said before that, yeah, you can have her. They, they, they had already said that. When they heard what the servant had to say, they're like, yeah, we're in agreement. You know, take her. <laughs> you, know, you can have her. And, and it sounds, you know, pretty bad there. But at the same time, too, they did give her a chance to get out of it, didn't they? And that was a common thing back then to give your daughter away. You say it's just terrible the way they treated their daughters like property back then. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. 
They, when pe people treating their daughters like property is way better than the way we treat them now. Because people value their property. But you know how we treat our daughters now that they've been liberated? We treat them like trash that we just cast out to the dogs. And when you let some pile of garbage punk with no job have his way with your daughter and you say nothing about it, you're just throwing her out like trash. Okay? And that's what women's liberation has done for you ladies. Yeah, you used to get treated like property, but it was a lot better. They treated you like you had value. Now you're nothing but trash, thanks to feminism. Now, it's not like that in our family. In our family, my daughters have great value. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. You think I'm letting some greasy little punk come after my daughters? You think I'm going to let some just worthless punk with no job, with no character been fooling around with all these other girls. You think I'm going to let him anywhere near my daughter? No, you know what? He needs to go find one of the liberated feminist girls that he can go, that's already thinks she's trash so he can go treat her like trash. So thank you, feminism. That's what you've done. You've made it easy for just scumbag, pathetic guys to be able to have their way with women. That's what feminism has done. Congratulations. And ladies, if you want that, I guess you can have it, but don't try to encourage me to let to treat my daughters like trash. No, I'm not going to do that at all. I could say a lot about that, but I need to move on. So Rebecca chose it. And I think that's interesting, too, because in Revelation 22:17, here's a clear verse that just kills Calvinism. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that heareth say, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will. Let him take of the water of life freely. So, and notice too, they didn't tell Rebecca. Now listen, if, hey, if you go and you will accept Isaac, all right, if you want to marry Isaac, here's what we need from you. We need some works from you. We need you to prove yourself. We need money. No, they brought gifts to her, didn't they? She didn't have to do anything except just be willing and say, I'll go. Nothing was required of her except for her consent. That was it. And then she was given all these gifts. All these things were just given to her. And so in verse 53, it says, And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. He gave her all these gifts. Okay? Remember, the servant pictures the Holy Spirit. Once she has chosen to go with Isaac, she has not got to him yet. She has not married him yet. She has just chosen to go with him. And then the servant who represents the Holy Spirit gives her gifts. And isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? Don't we receive gifts from the Holy Ghost? And we haven't been married to Christ yet, have we? We've been promised to him. We're espoused to him. But we've not got to see him yet. But yet we are already, we already reap the benefits just because of the fact that we have chosen him, we have salvation, and the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. We receive blessings from God, don't we? He takes care of us. And just like Isaac, he wasn't physically there. But notice how they send his servant, and he has his men there, and they're there to protect her. They're there to take care of her until they are able to deliver her to Isaac, and she's well taken care of. She's giving gifts, and that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. 
The Holy Spirit, he seals us on the day of redemption. We are with the Holy Spirit. will always be there with us until we are with Christ. I mean, I think this stuff's pretty clear. I mean, I think God's trying to show us something here. He's trying to show a pretty clear picture of salvation here. And so then we, so anyway, so they pack up. It's time to go. And then notice in verse 61 of Genesis 24, it says, And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man and the servant. And they took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way, the well, the high roy, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide when he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she said, had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You know what I believe this is a picture of here? Her journey to Isaac? I think it's a picture of the rapture, you could say. Because one of these days... Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We, and, and you know, just imagine too, because I don't know how long this journey would have taken, but it, it, allow me to just speculate a little bit, Okay. If I was, you know, I, I can imagine Rebecca, if she's just like a normal young lady, while they're on their journey back to uh, her new home, she's probably having a lot of conversations with the Eliezer. Hey, what's Isaac like? You know, what does he look like? You know, tell me about it. You know, what, you know, what kind of things is he like? You know, what's his personality? You know, you know is he nice? You know, she's, she's wanting to find out things about him. And isn't that the same way we are as Christians? We're trying to learn about Jesus, aren't we? I mean, we're really interested in Jesus Christ. We wonder what he looks like. We wonder what it's going to be like when we finally get to see him. We're anticipating that. I mean, we call, we call the rapture that time when we're going to meet Christ. We call it the blessed hope. We have this blessed hope. We're excited that one of these days we're going to see Christ. And Rebecca, that whole trip, she's, I can just picture her just asking all these questions. She's wanting to know about the man that she's about to marry. And... We ought to have a great interest in Jesus Christ. It ought to be something that we're thinking about. We ought to be studying the scriptures. Why? So we can learn about Christ. We ought to be trying, and, and like we've been talking, like we talked about on Sunday, when we're reading the scriptures, okay, we're, we want the Holy Spirit showing us things. We want Him speaking to us because there's things that we want to learn about Him. And I believe that's what was going on with Rebecca while she's on this trip. She's probably learning about Isaac, probably getting all the information she could possibly get. And so when the time comes and she finally gets to see Isaac, it was probably a thrilling moment for her. And you know what? It was a thrilling moment for Isaac too. And they went, and, the, and I like how it ends. He just takes her, and he loves her, and he's comforted after his mother's death. And so while the things, things like this in the Scripture are neat, though we do need to remember we don't want to take these things too far and use them as proof texts. Okay? And 
And I want to show you just briefly here, because I, I don't really want to spend any time on this next week. All right, because, I mean, folks, does anybody think I'm stretching the symbolism we're using here? You know, Abraham's picture of the Father, Isaac, Jesus Christ, the unnamed servant, the Holy Spirit, you know, Rebecca, the bride, uh, the church. I mean, it, it's, it, I think it's pretty clear. Okay. But then, you can sometimes take these things too far. Okay. But remember, it's okay to do some of this as long as it fits Bible doctrine. And nothing I talked about tonight goes against what the Bible teaches, does it? Okay. But let's, let's look at this. Let's go ahead and jump ahead into the next chapter a little bit. And it says, Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And then it goes on saying who uh, they had. And it says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward into the east country. Now, they might know anything, anything unusual here. Wasn't it a big deal when Abraham had a son at a hundred? Now, remember, how old was Isaac when Sarah died? He was 37, I believe it was. Okay, so when Sarah died, um, Abraham would have been 137. And so I don't know how much time passed between the death of Isaac and the marriage of Rebekah. But after he gets a bride for Isaac, Abraham gets remarried and has more kids. He's having kids in his 140s. Now, the Bible spent a lot of time about the miracle of Isaac being born. Why don't we talk? Why doesn't the Bible talk more about this? Why do we spend 67 verses, you know, talking about, you know, that, which is, you know, just a great love story. But now we've got this miracle going on here where Abraham's having more kids. And it doesn't talk a whole lot about that. Why is that? Well, this is what some would say about this. Is So you have Abraham, who is a picture of God the Father, and you have Sarah, who is a picture of Israel. After the death of Israel, we have Isaac, Jesus Christ, getting a bride, the church. After... The Jesus Christ and the church are united. Abraham, God the Father, gets a bride. And this is showing God going back to Israel. This is the restoration of Israel right here in the scriptures. Now, what are we going to do about that? Well, here's the thing. If you can show me in the New Testament where God the Father goes back to Israel... And God has a separate, you know, different bride that's not the church. Well, then we'll give you that. But the thing is, you can't prove that. It's just not there. In the book of Revelation, we see one bride, and there's no doubt that that bride, that city, New Jerusalem, whose foundations are the, you know, the apostles and the, the gates are the, uh, have the 12 tribes. It's clear it's all one. And I've preached on that before. I've preached how the bride of Christ, it is all the believers. All the believers from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So uh, the thing is, that sounds pretty good. That fits pretty good with your dispensational theology. That symbolism works there. And I've had people use this as the proof. 
that Israel is going to be restored. But I'm sorry, that doesn't fit with the New Testament. That doesn't fit with what we see in the Bible. And then two, and I don't have time to go into this, there's too many places where I can show you in the Old Testament where God is referring to Israel as his bride, that we see those many of those verses, for example, in Hosea, quoted by the Apostle Paul and applying them to the New Testament church. So that doesn't work. But I just show you that just to show that while symbolism, it's all fun, it's good, there's a lot of things we can get from it, you can take it too far. And so it's okay to use it as long as whatever is being taught fits Bible doctrine, but we don't ever want to use those as proof texts. These are just things that we look at and just kind of, uh, you know, are exhorted by and amazed by. And I think that's the important thing. And we might say uh, next, next week talk a little bit more about Abraham and Keturah because it is, it is an interesting thing. But uh, I just, uh, you know, I wanted to mainly show you Genesis chapter 24 and why I believe God put, spent so much time talking about Isaac getting a bride. Because let me ask you, you know, while we, when we're reading about creation, we see that verse where God just says, and he made the stars also. Like, no big deal. It's like, you know, actually, shouldn't we talk a little bit more about that? Because that's pretty impressive. You know, we, that, that's how I feel about it. But really, what's more important to God? Do you realize we are the most important thing to him? Now, that blows my mind that he cares about us that much. But he does. He does care about us that much. We matter to him. And so when God is given his word, he's like, you know, I'd rather spend more time showing how I'm going to save people, showing how I'm going to get a bride. God wanted to spend more time in these kind of things because that's what's important to him. Our salvation is what's important to him. We like reading the cool stories. You know, we like reading about, you know, the, you know, just all the neat things of creation and from before the flood and all that kind of stuff. And even fairy tale stuff that we make up like Nephilims and things. But God doesn't care about that. God cares about salvation. This book that we have, it's about Jesus Christ and salvation. That's the main message that we get from it. So I personally believe that that's why God decided, you know what, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, I'm going to focus it on this great story that shows how I'm going to get a bride for my son. And that ought to excite us because we are a part of that. Okay? Well, you look at the story and you know every girl in here would think, oh, this is just an amazing love story. I wish this would happen to me. Well, you know what? It actually has happened to all of us. The Holy Spirit did come looking for us. The Holy Spirit told us about Jesus Christ. And you know what we did? We accepted. And then the Holy Spirit gave us spiritual gifts, didn't he? And he's blessed us. And, and we're learning about Jesus Christ from the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. And one of these days, just like Rebecca got to be united with her husband, one of these days we are going to be united with Jesus Christ and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And just like it said in uh, Genesis 24, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, tells us to comfort one another with these words about the fact that we're going to be reunited with our loved ones. We're going to be with the Lord forever. It is a comforting thing. I don't think this, I don't think this stuff's coincidence. I think it's just God showing his wisdom and showing us how amazing this book is. Man can't make stuff up like this. You know, there's copies of the book of Genesis that date back to before all these things happened with Christ. Now, tell me how in the world authors 
who spanned centuries, were centuries apart from each other, just managed to come up with a tale so fitting. That, that can't be done, folks. That can't be done. If the gospel writers were just making up their stories, just making up the things that they wrote, there is no way they were going to make that stuff fit Genesis 24. Humans cannot do that. They can't come together and just make things that fit like that. But you know what? That can happen if it's God's word. And that is exactly what every bit of this is. It's God's word. And it ought to amaze us a little bit. It's amazing you have to tell Christians, read your Bible. It really is. We should be amazed by this book. And we ought to have a hunger and a desire for it. This is the kind of stuff that God put in it. And I don't want to miss this kind of thing. I want, to, I want to see this stuff, and I want to look for these things because they're encouraging and they're comforting. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this amazing book that you have given us, Lord, that just it never ceases to amaze us. We thank you that you've preserved it so perfectly for us, and uh, you've allowed us to just have easy access to it, Lord. We live in a world where it's easy to get a Bible. God, dear God, we thank you for that. It's not always been like that in the world, but that's what the world we're living in now, and we're thankful for it. Lord, I just pray that these things will encourage us to keep on studying your word, and I pray that we will uh, just ha- have a close relationship with the Holy Spirit, and so we can learn more about you until that day where we are actually uh, physically with you. And we're looking forward to that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead.